as mentioned, uh, today is Palm Sunday. Kids, what happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus arrived where? In Jerusalem, yeah. Yeah, and why did Jesus go to Jerusalem? Do you remember, kiddos? Yes, sir. Just forgot. All right, that's okay. Grown-ups, you can help out. Oh, yes, sir. For Passover, yeah, Jesus and his followers went to celebrate Passover. That's something that happened every year. And, and the big climax of the celebration of Passover was that there was going to be a lamb sacrificed to, to cover the sins of Israel. But this Passover was going to be super different because they, they would sacrifice a lamb, but then Jesus would also be killed and cover the sins of the world. It's a big difference. It's a big deal. And we're starting to get to that aspect today. So, so today, if we were walking through just a normal calendar, today would be the day that would start a lot of the events that we've seen since Mark 11. Like, we've been talking about these events since about mid-February. A lot happened in the well-known last week of Jesus's life. And I don't know about you, maybe it is just me, but I grew up hearing so much about these events that they became like super familiar to me. Even before I was a follower of Jesus, like the, the turning over tables at the temple and Jesus getting arrested with someone kissing him and, and, and this kind of stuff. Like these were just kind of common, common stories that, that I knew. Maybe you did too. They became kind of second nature to you. And, and for me, and if you're, if you're like me, then maybe this happened to you too. When I read these stories, it's so easy for me to kind of gloss over them because they're so familiar. And I kind of go, yeah, yeah, I, I know, I've, I've heard this. And, and it's not because I don't care, but rather it's because I know and we know what happens next. Like we know what comes after the verses that Danielle just read for us. Uh, Charlotte and, and uh, Jess, my wife and my oldest, went to see Taylor Swift this weekend. Uh, she knew a little singer. She'll make it big one day. Um, and we were ta- I was talking with Jess about, like, what would it be like to be the opener for Taylor Swift? Because on one hand, like, it's a huge honor to be asked, right? Like, of all the bands, like, huge honor. At the same time, all everyone wants is for you to get off the stage, right? Like, what a weird, like, super honored, super hated moment that, that you'd be experiencing there. And, and in a similar, not really similar, but I'm going to make a bridge to it kind of way, <laughs> what happens after these verses? What happens after Jesus's arrest and, and trials. What, what happens next? It's his death and then his resurrection. Like what comes next is the main act. What comes next is the big event of the gospel story of Jesus's whole earthly existence. And, and so it's easy to kind of gloss over this part and go, we just want it to be over with. Let's get to the, let's get to the, the big stuff. Does that make sense? But as I, I intentionally made myself sit and like read slowly and, and marinate in some of the details of these verses. And I think if we gloss over, if I, if I gloss over, if we, we skip the opener, if you will, there's a lot of key aspects of Jesus's story and, and his character and his final moments that, that we can miss. So here's what we're going to see today, and it'll be up on the screen. We're going to see that in the midst of Jesus's pain and arrest and death, in the midst of his pain and arrest and death, we see final glimpses of God's truth and beauty and kingdom. I say it again, in the midst of his pain and arrest and death, we see a few final glimpses of, of God's truth and beauty and kingdom. In the midst, in other words, of darkness and suffering, Jesus brings healing and life. 
And that's really good news. So I want to pray real quick and then we'll dive in. Father, would you meet us in this story? Would you keep us in this story? Would, would we not be so familiar that the details are lost on us? Would we not be so tempted to move ahead that we miss the richness in this part of Scripture and in this part of your Holy Week? Would you guide us and teach us by your Spirit? Amen. All right, so last week, if you were here, we left off uh, with Jesus praying in the garden. And Nicole walked us through, through Jesus' just anguished prayer. And, and Jesus was committing to his Father's will, even though he knew that the Father's will involved Jesus' own suffering. That's where we left off. And so as, as he finished his prayer, Jesus told something that really sets the tone for tonight's conversation. So here's the verses just before the ones Danielle started reading. It is enough, he tells his disciples, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And then immediately Mark moves us into the next scene. Immediately, Mark writes, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer, Judas, had given the crowd a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he at once went up to him and said, Rabbi, which again, this is an affectionate term, teacher, leader, my, my respected, honored friend. That's the kind of betrayal Jesus faced. And Judas kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, now to the degree that any of us can, I want to invite you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes here. Again, go back into the the prayer that Jesus has just been praying. There's, There's deep anguish in this night, the, the, one of the other gospel writers says that as Jesus prayed, his, his anxiety is such that he is he's crying and sweating blood. He's being betrayed. He's feeling the weight of death. If you're Jesus, you know what comes next. You've just committed yourself to this. This is, this is what your eyes have been set on since the time that at least you were, you were baptized and the Spirit came down and said, this is my beloved Son. You know what's coming. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. You're seeing this mob, like this is a mob scene. Think like Beauty and the Beast, folks going to storm the castle kind of thing. Clubs and, and swords and violence. What do you do? What do you do when you face anguish and betrayal and violence and, and being weighed down? Like kiddos, what do you do when you're having a bad day? What do you want to do? Do you want to acknowledge it and be like, yeah, let's talk through this? Or do you just want to go and hide? You want to go and hide? Somebody want to go to hide? Do some of you want to like, yeah, that's, that's the other option. Yeah, let's, let's take care of this. I will make this day better, right? Grown-ups, we wouldn't have done that because we've learned not to. But isn't that how some of us feel when we have bad days, when we're facing anguish and betrayal and feeling weighed down? Or don't we want to go and hide as well? This is, this is the common, like, fight or flight, as, as common psychology kind of jargon says. We either fight or flight, fly. We try to flee when, when we face anguish and betrayal. This is what's even celebrated. We see this in others, right? In verse 47, one of Jesus' followers fights, pulls out a sword, cuts off a servant's ear. 
Verse 50, which, which Danielle read a minute ago, shows us what some others did. They all left him and fled. One of them left his cloak behind and ran away naked. That's weird. But you can't say that much clearer. They fight or they flew, they fled. What's your temptation when you face adversity? What's your temptation in the midst of a hard relationship? What's your temptation if you're just having a rough day, even? Do you bow up? Do you try to overpower it? Do you go, I'm going to, I love that you did this. Like, I'm just going to control it. I'm going to fight with my fists or my brain, my words. My, my temptation is to go, I can't control this, so I'll find something I can control. Whether pleasantly or angrily taking out the thing I can't control's anger on the thing that I can. Or do you retreat? Close off your mind, push it away, hide it under a rug. Netflix, alcohol, some hobby, some even good thing to just cover over it and go, I don't want to deal with this. Do we escape? Like those are the common responses to hard things. Those are, those are things we see celebrated, those are things we see in TV shows and read about in books, like fight or flight. Neither of those is what Jesus does, even though that's what his followers do. In the midst of darkness and suffering, church, Jesus brings healing and light. In the midst of Jesus' arrest and pain and the very weight of death, tonight's first glimpses of God's truth and beauty and kingdom, this will be up here on the screen, show that as Jesus was betrayed and deceived, he spoke truth. And despite his own pain, Jesus brought healing. That's what we see here. That's what we see. We see that on one level, like it was dark out. They were outside of the city. They were away from the crowd. Like this would be a perfect time for, for, for the arrest to happen. But that's, that's not primarily why the arrest happened now. Why, why was this the moment in Jesus' life for him to be arrested? Did you pick it up as Daniel read? Jesus said, I'm being arrested that the scriptures may be fulfilled. It wasn't the opportune time that Judas and the, 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 the high priest cronies had worked out. It was because scripture was being fulfilled. Look at, look at these verses. Jesus said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Luke's account of the, the servant cutting off the high priest's servant's ears, or his followers cutting off a high priest's servant's ears, says this, one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But what did Jesus do? He said, no more of this. He touched his ear and healed him. Jesus brought truth into the deceit and dark of night, into the, the deceitfulness of his arrest. And, and while folks came ex expecting a fight or a revolt, swords, clubs, what did they find? They found Jesus saying, no. No, no more of this violence. They found peace and healing. Now, I, I, I will not compare... Jesus' anguish and betrayal and violence and the weight that he was feeling to, to yours and mine. 
I, I don't think it's right to do that. His, his was greater. And yet it is okay and right, but sometimes disallowed in Christian circles to admit that sometimes we face anguish and betrayal and violence and weight. And when we do, it's easy to kind of throw away Jesus' example in this and be like, well, of course he's God. Of course he'd respond with truth and healing. He's, he's Jesus. And if that's true, then we don't, we don't have an example to follow when we face a similar thing. And what I want to submit is that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you, which if you follow Jesus, the promise is that he is, And if we have been invited into the same prayerful dependence on God that marked Jesus' life and his Gethsemane prayer, then what if we don't toss out this example? Like, what if, as we learn to, to be with Christ and become like Christ and do what Christ did, which is what we say a lot is discipleship, what if instead of fighting and fleeing, what if we asked God in the midst of our weightiness and betrayal and violence and anguish, what if we asked God to help you respond like Jesus did to whatever lie, whatever opposition, whatever anguish, whatever betrayal, whatever violence, whatever weight we face? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what if we were known as followers of Jesus? What if we were known for for our calm posture and winsome truth and healing presence and countercultural prayerfulness in a world that celebrates fighting and fleeing, and in a world that seems surrounded by anguish and betrayal and violence and weight. Now, do you think the Spirit could conjure that up in us? Truthful words in the midst of lies that we hear, even, even if those lies come from our own brains or, or those who are closest to us? Do you think the Spirit could conjure up reconciliation in the midst of all the divisions that plague our society today? Do you think the Spirit could cause prayer and healing for many physical, emotional anxieties and ails? Because that sounds to me like light in the midst of darkness. That's what Jesus displays in this hardest moment, and that's the identity and promise he gives us by his Spirit as he calls us the light of the world. Is that fair? And, and that's kind of a theme that we see through the rest of Mark 14 and into Mark 15. Jesus is blindfolded and he's beaten and he's mocked. There's foolishness and deceit amidst the crowds and the guards. And that same foolishness and deceit is also true of this sham court and this illegal trial that's going on inside the room. Here's Mark 14, starting in verse 55. The chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. I love this next verse for the record. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not even agree. And Mark repeats it a few, a few verses later. Their testimony couldn't, they couldn't even get their story straight. And some stood against him and bore false witness. Jesus didn't answer their false charges. Jesus remained silent and remained committed to God's will. But then finally, after remaining silent, making no answer, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Which if you know Old Testament language, God 
introduced himself to his people by saying, who am I? What is my name? I am who I am. I am, Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard this blasphemy. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the honored one of God? And after many scenes, and we've walked through Mark for a lot of months now, and Jesus has said very often, I am the Messiah, don't tell anyone. I am he, but it's not my time yet. This is the moment where Jesus says, this is who I am. This is why I came. In the midst of their lies and foolishness, Jesus is proclaiming truth. And, and don't miss this intertwined story, the way that all the Gospels tell it. While that's happening inside, what's Peter doing outside? Kiddos, what does Peter do in these verses? What's Peter do on Jesus' last night? Do you know? Does he say, yeah, I was with Jesus? Or does he say, no, I don't know him? Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, says, I don't even know him. Verse 66 will be up on the screen. As Peter is below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw, and the servant girl saw him begin to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, surely you were with them because you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man of whom you speak. And immediately, Mark's favorite word for the record, immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Jesus broke down and wept. Here's Here's what's happening in this intertwining of stories, this sham trial inside and Peter's denial outside. The leaders of the religion of the day were proclaiming lies and darkness and foolishness. They were trying to fight. But meanwhile, Peter's scared in the face of adversity and violence. He's feeling the weight of death, and his actions lead to self-preservation and deceit and denial. So he, again, is trying to flee from the truth. And between both, we see again that Jesus is truth and light. Here's the next slide. In the face of the darkness of Peter's denial, and in the face of the darkness of the leader's lies and the people's foolishness, Jesus is proven wise and true. Here's what I mean by that. Talk to me. What are the leaders accusing Jesus of? What are they accusing Jesus of? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. <laughs> Love it. How old are you? Four. That's almost as many syllables in that word as you are years old. Well done, Freemans. You get a parenting prize. Well done. Blasphemy, which is to say that this, the, bla the charge of blasphemy is a charge against God. It's the charge of being a false prophet. 
right? They're saying you are not the Messiah. You are a false Messiah. You're leading people astray. You're, you're denying God. That's, that's false prophecy. But what had Jesus prophesied about Peter? What did Jesus told Peter that he was going to do? He was going to d- deny him three times. So while Jesus is being accused of being false in his prophecy, what is coming true at the exact same time? Jesus' prophecy. Do you see what Mark's doing here? There's a little bit of irony in how this chapter is put together. Peter said, no, I won't deny you. The leader said, you're a false prophet. And what happens? While they're false and Peter's scared, Jesus is remaining true and steady. If you'll go to the next slide, there's something else that's happening here. Peter is becoming guilty of the sin and brokenness. Lydia, will go to the next slide for me real quick. But Jesus is being proven gracious. We don't see this in Mark, but Peter's three-time denial here sets the stage for Jesus to restore him. In a three-time question asked after his resurrection, Peter and Jesus are having this breakfast of fish. Most of us don't eat fish for breakfast, but they did. And in the midst of that breakfast, Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, I do, I do, I do. And Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. There's some nuance there, but Jesus is restoring Peter and forgiving him his three-time denial. And again, y'all, I won't compare the, the mockery and denial that Jesus faced from the Jewish leaders and Peter to any, to any mockery and denial that we face. But I also won't compare it to the ways that we deny and mock our own Lord. Like their, their foolishness was literal and overt, but, but be honest with me. Don't raise your hand. Don't, have, don't feel like you have to answer out loud on this. Like Peter and like the religious leaders, y'all, hasn't Jesus revealed himself to us over and over and over again and proven himself to be, for example, the only source of true satisfaction? And yet we mock and deny him, don't we, every time we try to find satisfaction somewhere else? And hasn't Jesus proven himself over and over and over again to be the only opinion who truly matters most of who we are? But don't we mock and deny Jesus every time we give someone else the power over us to shape our identity and to give us a new worldview? And hasn't Jesus proven ourself over and over and over again to be gracious? But don't we mock and deny him every time we try to earn his favor or withhold forgiveness or try to earn his forgiveness? You follow me? And if that's true for those of us who claim to follow Jesus, it's even more true for for us if we don't claim to follow Jesus. We all, on some level, mock and deny Jesus and his goodness and his grace and his glory every single day. And yet, how does Jesus respond to you every single day? Exactly the same way he responded to Peter. He meets us with grace. He reminds us. I love that we've been doing assurances of forgiveness this month of Lent. Because forgiveness doesn't happen in the moment. The assurance of forgiveness is a reminder, hey, even that thing that you thought of, wrote down, prayed through, even that has already been forgiven in what Jesus did for you on the cross. 
That's where Jesus meets us when we deny and mock him. Grace, reconciliation, restoration. And because of that, when when we are mocked, for example, for standing up for objective truth in a subjective culture, or, or when we're denied justice or see someone else denied justice that we or they deserve, what if we ask for the Spirit of God who is alive in you to help us respond like Jesus did to the mockery and denial that he faced and to a lesser degree that we face, which are small by comparison, but are which are very real. Do you get the point I'm trying to bring out in these verses? There's so much darkness in the hours leading up to Jesus' death. And there's so much darkness in the world around you and me every single day. There's, it's not lost on me that most of us walked in feeling sticky and muggy outside, which is, this is just the worst weather to me. And, it, and hailstorms and like the, the weather is, is even reminding us, giving us a little bit of a glimpse of some of just the, the brokenness and darkness. It's easy to accept all that brokenness as reality because it's what we experience all the time. And because we live in a broken world, there's a degree to which this is our reality. But we can't forget sin, brokenness, darkness, that's not the way that God designed the world to be. That's not the way of the kingdom of God. Jesus is light into darkness. And by his spirit, he invites us and empowers us to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. In the midst of pain and suffering and whatever difficulty, by his spirit, we get to be like Jesus in those moments. One last scene, Mark 15, Jesus is given over to the Roman governor Pilate. He's given over to Pilate because crucifixion is a Roman punishment, and only Roman leaders could condemn anyone to crucifixion. And Jesus again stays quiet in the midst of these charges. Did you get this as Daniel read? Pilate even tried to free Jesus. Look at verse 6 of of Mark 15. At the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them, to release one of the prisoners. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Again, put yourself in Jesus' shoes with me. Would that be a super appealing moment? Would you have done everything you could have to rally folks and go, yeah, get me out of here. But hear this, if Pilate had saved Jesus, or if Jesus had saved himself, Jesus would not have saved the world. There's a line from Jesus Christ Superstar, which for the record is not the Bible. But Jesus tells Pilate, you hold nothing in your hands. Any power you have comes to you from far beyond. Everything is fixed, and you can't change it. And it's with that sentiment that this scene and tonight's teaching is going to end on this ominous 
suspenseful, deeply sad note that's in verse 15. Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd. There's a lot even in that phrase. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, Pilate delivered him to be crucified. It's the pinnacle of deceit. It's the pinnacle of falsehood. It's the pinnacle of foolishness. It's the pinnacle of darkness. But in those words, this scene in our teaching also ends with a hopeful foreshadow and with one last glimpse of healing and light in the midst of darkness. Because Lydia, go to the next slide for me. In Jesus' being condemned to death, Barabbas, who's a thief and a murderer, is forgiven and freed. And y'all, that is simply an overt glimpse of a greater and global reality of what Jesus' death accomplished for you and for me and for every one of us. Again, you're not likely literally a murderer. I don't know you all, but I assume that to be true. But Jesus says, and if we've ever had any hate in our heart towards someone, we might as well have murdered them. Perhaps over the course of life, you've taken something that didn't belong to you. You're a thief, you're a murderer, at least proverbially. Not literally like Barabbas, but spiritually you and I and every human in all of history and across the whole world all of us are imperfect and broken and sinful and guilty and deserve punishment. Like Jesus did for Barabbas, in his death, Jesus took the guilt and punishment for your sin. Like Jesus did for Barabbas, in, Barabbas, in his death, Jesus set you free and restored your perfect status. And like Jesus did for Barabbas, in his death, he took your shame and brokenness. Hear me, every bad thought or thing you've done and every bad thought or thing that's been done to you or against you is gone. It's forgiven. It's redeemed and reconciled. Y'all, there's such good news in Jesus' final hours. There's so much anguish and betrayal and violence and weight and pain and brokenness and death and sin in these chapters. But as we enter Holy Week 2023, I want to invite us to feel that weight, to feel the weight of Jesus' death on the cross and and to, to yearn and long as we wait for this main act, the main event of Easter, which we'll celebrate next Sunday morning. But as we wait and yearn and feel the wait, in the midst of the darkness and suffering, know this week that in the last minutes of Jesus' life, we see healing and we see light. Is that good news? This is part of why whenever we take communion, we, quote, declare Jesus' death until he returns. Jesus' death is good news for you. And, and so here, here's what I want us to do tonight, and it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, so grab, grab a bread, a wafer. Um, if, if you have one of the little individual gluten-free packets, open it for me. Take out, take out the wafer. Don't dip it yet, though, okay? Uh, I want invite, to uh, invite just us to, to, to pray together. And I'm just going to speak some lines over us. The lines are going to be up on the screen here in just one sec. Um, 
And here's what I would ask. If one of these lines especially resonates with you, just say out loud, thanks be to God, and then take the bread and dip it into the juice or the wine and receive Jesus' sacrifice for that. Okay, so I'll say these. If one of these resonates with you, especially, maybe more will. Grab more bread, dip it again, I don't care. Um, Thanks be to God, and then receive the blessing of Jesus' death. So Jesus, in the midst of my being betrayed, you are my justification. If that resonates, thanks be to God, dip and eat. Jesus, in the midst of my pain, you offer healing. Jesus, in the midst of my rejecting and denying you, you remain faithful. And that's where I'm at. Thanks be to God. Jesus, in the midst of the lies that I hear and believe, you are my truth. Jesus, in the midst of my fear, you remain my steady rock. Jesus, in the midst of my guilt, you always show me grace. Jesus, in the midst of my sin, you've fully forgiven me. Jesus, in the midst of my brokenness, you reconcile me. And if none of those specifically resonated with you, then just offer up a prayer to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting in something else specific that Jesus is the light into. And so whatever it is, thanks be to God. Dip and eat. Father, I thank you that uh, it was Pilate in, in great irony who called you the king of the Jews in these verses. While those who've been waiting for a Messiah mocked, spat on, condemned you, put you on trial, denied you, forsook, fors- forsaked, forsook, walked away from you. Um, it was the Roman governor who saw the pride, who saw the heart that frankly all of us have at times and who tried to free you. So thank you that his declaration was more prophetic and more poignant than some of us even realize, than certainly many in the day realize, that you truly are the king of the Jews, and more than that, God, you're the king of our hearts, and you're the king of the earth, and all creation. You sit on your throne, and we want to see your kingdom come. We thank you for being light in the midst of all forms of darkness. Amen? Amen.